Amen. That's the hard part about the Christian life, isn't it? Following. <laughs> Christian life is like a long journey with lots of rest stops. They're necessary, but you, it's like a lot of times you don't want to stop. But if you don't stop, you'll have a mess. <laughs> right? And uh, sometimes the Lord says, come on, and sometimes the Lord says, stop. Sometimes the Lord says, just keep following. All right, we're going to pick up our study on the seven mysteries here. We began last week. We got through about four of them here. And, uh, of course, uh, if you look real quickly, and we'll start and end on this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sure uh, you know it, but let's look at it again. And there's a blessing connected with these, these mysteries. And the blessing being that if you, if you keep them and you're faithful to these mysteries, you won't get messed up in doctrine, you won't get messed up in the Word of God. And if you want to know why the country is a mess and Christianity is a mess, is because uh, God's people have stopped being faithful to the mysteries that were given to them by the Apostle Paul and by Brother John. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So in direct context, Paul is a minister. You see that? He's a minister of Jesus Christ, and he's a steward. God has given him some mysteries here, and it's Paul's job to keep those mysteries and to teach them. So it's my job as a pastor, as a preacher, this just doesn't take up time. Uh, this is supposed to be taught, and you should know it, and you should, if you don't know it, you should be learning them. And so these uh, mysteries are... Basically, they're Pauline in nature and Johannine, as they would be called them. And we covered the first four. You've got the mystery of godliness, and that's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3.16. And the part about that, you say, what's the mystery of that? The mystery of that is that God was manifest in the flesh. And that's the part you can't explain. Uh, the second mystery we cover was the mystery of the indwelling Christ. That's Colossians 1.27. And the mystery of that thing is this. Here's the mystery. Here's what can't be explained. You have a sinless Savior living inside of a sinful body as yours. The moment you got saved, He indwelled you, and He's there forever. Now, that's a mystery. Uh, the, you had the third one, the mystery of the body of Christ. And uh, that third mystery is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. And you say, well, what's the mystery about that? All right, a man that is saved is in Christ's body. That's the mystery. You can't explain it. I can believe it. But if that's the case, if I'm in Christ's body, well, so is about 10 million or 20 million others. I can't understand that, but I can believe it. And that's the mystery of the body of Christ. Uh, the fourth one we got to last week was the mystery of the restoration of Israel. And you pick that thing up in Romans chapter 11, 25, and here's the mystery part of that, is that God's going to restore Israel one day, even though through the timeline of history, you would think that many times the Lord isn't going to do it. And we gave you four different countries, four different countries that were deceived, and they didn't believe uh, the scriptures, they didn't believe God's promises to Israel. And you know what happened? The Lord wiped them out, and they haven't been a third to fourth-rate power since. You start with Egypt. I'm not going to go through all the history like I'd love to, but you start with Egypt. Egypt started messing around with God's people. 
you know, the account of Exodus chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, so forth and so on, and the Lord obliterates them. And then you come up to around the 1400s and 1500s, and you've got Spain messing around with the Jews and the Inquisitions, and the Lord wipes them out. And then you got England messing around with the Jews or closer to the 20th century there, 1918, and the Balfour Declaration and all the British uh, concentration camps that you'll never hear a peak. Good luck finding that in history books. You won't find it. You'll have to dig all over the place, and then you'll have, have to find some obscure things, and about the only thing you'll probably find it on is uh, some, some ancient you know, back dark web Google search or something. Good luck finding it. It's there. And, uh, and then, of course, the last one he gave you was Germany. And I don't have to explain to you what Germany did, Hitler and Himmler and Goebbels and uh, on, on the rest of that crew there. And they messed around with God's people, the apple of God's eyes, and God took them down to almost nothing. And that's the fourth, uh, four out of seven mysteries. And here today, we're going to pick up the fifth one here, uh, mystery number five, and take your Bible and uh, go to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. This one is uh, Mystery Babylon the Great. Mystery Babylon the Great. All over there in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5. All right, Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. And over here in the book of Revelation, in chapter 17, uh, verse 5, you got yourself a woman, and she's out in the wilderness in this chapter here, and she's uh, seated on a beast. And the Bible says the woman has an inscription on her head. Isn't that wild? She's got something written on her head. Um, Revelation 17, 5 says, And upon her forehead was a name written. Look at that. Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. Uh, now you know what this is? It's a mystery. Because <laughs> that's what it says. <laughs> it's a mystery. But you're supposed to believe it, but you can't explain it. Uh, now look at verse 3 real quick. I'll just give you a couple of shout-outs here in this chapter. This shouldn't be too difficult. Matter of fact, uh, we'll struggle to make 45 minutes worth of material tonight. I know you'd be really disappointed. Uh, but Revelation chapter 17, verse 3, it says, uh, it says she's called a woman. You see that thing there? And it says in verse 3, it says uh, a woman. And uh, verse 4, it says the woman. Um, if you look at verse 6, it says the woman. You see that? The woman. Now you look at verse 18, and you don't have to worry about anything in the Greek, amen? You don't have to worry about any kind of foreign language or foreign training or what the... Uh, uh, whatever this or that says, but verse 18, the Bible clearly tells you, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city. You see what I mean? You always take the Bible literally unless you can't. And here you take it literally, okay, it's a woman. Okay, it's a woman. At the end of the chapter, the Bible explains, it says that woman is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. You see that? The Bible tells you that the woman that the, they're talking about there is a city. And uh, it says that the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So we ask the question that most of you know. Do you know of a city that reigns over the kings of the earth? Uh, look at verse 4. Let's identify it. 
Verse 4 says she has a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And the first part of that verse says she is arrayed in two colors, purple and scarlet. You see that? Purple and scarlet. Now, uh, this is like 20 questions. So you know of a city that's colors are purple and scarlet and sits on seven mountains? That's verse 9. Look at verse 9. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. See, I always take that Bible literally, and because if you don't, then you'll be guilty of going the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, allegorical interpretation of the Bible, and you'll just get in a mess. But you take that thing literal until the Bible tells you otherwise. And the Bible tells you in verse 9 that that's, uh, that color is a purple and scarlet. It sits on seven mountains. And then in verse 18, uh, that ra it reigns over all the kings of the earth. Uh, now look back to verse 5. Verse 5 says she is the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. I think it's interesting we preached about Rahab this morning and this thing pops up. Rahab was a harlot. Uh, we preached about the scarlet line this morning and just a spiritual aspect, just a spiritual look at Joshua chapter 2. And throughout the Bible, over the book of Isaiah, Rahab pops up in the middle and Rahab's also a type of the Antichrist. Well, that's crazy. But notice this thing here. It says, Mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. If you look at verse 1, the Lord says the city is a whore. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore. And he's not mincing any words. That city is a great whore. Uh, that means she's a prostitute. And, of course, uh, we don't have to have a class on what that is. A prostitute sells herself for money. And whatever that city is, that city goes along with the world to get the world's favor. You get that? It goes along with all the kings of the earth and all the forces and all the rulers to get the king's favor. And it runs. It runs the kings of the earth. And you take that city built on seven hills, look at verse 6. It says, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. All right, so we're building a case. If you're a defense attorney, if you're a prosti prost prostitute and prosecuting attorney, you're building a case here, can't talk. Uh, so do you know of a city that is uh, built on seven mountains then whose colors are purple and scarlet and uh, reigns over... Chuck for 500, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whose, colors are <laughs> whose colors are purple and scarlet that reigns over the kings of the earth? How about this? Its symbol is a golden cup. And uh, you know what the crime of this city is? It's guilty of killing Christians. <laughs> that seals the deal, doesn't it? Oh, I wonder what that city could be. Now, you don't have to be told uh, uh, who that woman is if you got any breathing sense at all. That woman in your Bible, like you've all said by now, from your start, from start to finish, it's Rome. That's what it is. And I think it's interesting because in Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, the Lord didn't say, beware of false prophets that come in the name of Hitler or Stalin or, you know, Jerry Springer. He didn't say that. He said, he said there'll be many that come in my name, right? That's what it said. So I'll ask you this line of questions. Uh, who put the spear in, in the side of Jesus Christ? What it, was, it a, was it a Russian or was it a Roman? It was a Roman. And uh, it, was a, it was a Roman in John 19.34. It says, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. How about this one in John 19.1? You know who it was? It was a Roman that whipped the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, uh, Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. That's a Roman. 
And uh, so how about this one? Who put Paul in jail? Was it a Roman or was it a Russian? It was Romans. And then uh, in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, uh, who cut off James's head? A Roman. It was Herod. Cut James's head right off. Uh, same chapter, Acts chapter 12, verse 4. Who put Peter in prison and wanted him killed? It was Rome. It was Rome. Uh, who put the apostle John on the island of Patmos and made him work in the salt mines, as history would declare? It was Rome. Uh, history says that uh, the apostle John, when it was over there in uh, Ephesus, and uh, he was preaching the gospel, and Domitian sent a force over there, and they ordered him to be burned in a cauldron of boiling oil. And so they got heated up that boiling oil. Yeah, I don't know if it was Crisco or whatever, peanut oil or whatever it was. And not the Bible, not the Bible, but history says that the Apostle John went into that cauldron of oil and wasn't, came out unscathed. You say, did it happen? I don't know. That's what history says. And what happened is Domitian was so angry, he exiled him, fear of the people, exiled him to the Aegean island of Patmos just south of Ephesus. And one history text says that they made him work in the salt mines, but given his age, I don't know if he'd have lasted in the salt mines. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But it was a Roman. It was a Roman emperor. It was a Roman dictator. It was a Roman murderer that sent John over there and did all that. And the Bible says that that church in that city is a prostitute. It's a whore. And as a prostitute, she'll sell herself out for what she believes and what she professes in order to get along with the world. And you know what that is? That's Mystery Babylon the Great. That's Mystery Babylon the Great. And that city's Rome. Absolutely. You say, I thought it was a mystery. It is a mystery. But all the, I mean, if you had all the neon signs in the world, it sure does point to Rome, doesn't it? Absolutely. Let's grab number six. Number six is the mystery of iniquity. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The mystery of iniquity. That's the mystery of the Antichrist. Mystery of iniquity. <clears throat> All right, yeah, there at Second Thessalonians chapter two. And uh, we'll pick it up and we'll read just a, a few verses of Scripture here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, begin reading at verse 2. Paul says that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know that, uh, I'm sorry, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery, here it is, of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders 
and the whole charismatic crew there. Now that's the mystery of the Antichrist. And we truly don't have the time. We could take the time, but we don't have the time to go into all of this. But we'll, we'll go into just a little bit. So when you're dealing with the mystery of the Antichrist, is, uh, as you know, in Revelation chapter 13, he's got a number, doesn't he? His number is what? He's 666. That's uh, Revelation 13, 15 to 18. Uh, the Antichrist, he has uh, more information about him than any person in the Bible. His, uh, his sign, you know what his sign is? Uh, not like Pillsbury the Doughboy or, you know, Breaker, Breaker, one, but his sign is a kiss. Don't you know if someone who uh, showed up and greeted somebody with a kiss? That'd be Judas. That's the son of perdition. Uh, he has a salute. He has a salute. It'll take a little bit of study to break that down and show it to you, but I'll just tell you at face value. Uh, his salute, you know what it is? It's just like the Boy Scout salute, but it's like that. That's the same thing. That's the Boy Scout salute. It's the sign of a bowman. You know any bowmen in the Bible? How about the guy in the white horse from Revelation chapter 6 that all your apostate scholars, they automatically think that's the Lord in Revelation chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 and they get that thing all bamboozled up? But you know what that is? That's the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 6, is his sign is two fingers. Sign is two fingers. And uh, I remember going in, uh, I made this uh, bogus, I know, like Rahab, sorry, Father, forgive me for I've sinned and all that. Made this uh, bogus, I wanted to talk to the priest uh, back there about uh, at least 20 years ago, maybe more, 25 years ago. Uh, Father Bob was his name. <clears throat> I just called him Bob or Sir or Mr. I didn't call him Father. But I wanted to ask him uh, questions about salvation, but he kind of caught on to me while I was there. But I walked up into that church there, and they had the big old thick Bible with the gold gilded edges on the side there. And I closed that thing, and it had this freakyish blonde-haired Jesus on the front. And you know what he was doing? He was doing this. And I had a whole cold chill ran right through my body, chicken skin everywhere. I'm like, whoa, you know. But that Antichrist, he's got a salute. It's two fingers. He goes, just like that, just like that. And you know what? That's the sign. Uh, that was the sign of all. You know what that's the sign of? That's the sign of the bowman. That's the sign of rebellion. Uh, and, of course, that's why during the 1960s when the hippie movement is around, everyone said, peace, man. That's the sign of rebellion. Nimrod was a hunter. Uh, you, have a, you, you ought to study bowmen in the Bible, people that used a bow. But uh, his salute is two fingers. Um, <clears throat> his letter is X, is X. Uh, interesting thing, uh, if you were to get in a plane and fly over to Alexandria, Egypt, get you in a plane, whatever, just a big one, <laughs> makes you first class or something, and you fly over there at Alexandria, Egypt, and you see one of the seven wonders of the world, you'd see the Sphinx, right? Uh, we won't even get into words that end with X, but the Sphinx, that's the, the, the cat man is what that is, half cat, half man. And what you have is an interesting picture and type of the Antichrist right there because you got the Sphinx, and right next to the Sphinx, you know what you got? You got XXX. You know what that is? That's three pyramids. And from an aerial view, you've got XXX. And in the Hebrew, that's six. Hex, hex, hex. You've got Sphinx, Catman, 666. <laughs> right over there where? Alexandria, Egypt. That's wild stuff, ain't it? He said, explain it. I can't. I'd have to dig up the information and plagiarize 95% of my sermon. But anyways, but it's, uh, that's what it is. You've got the Sphinx and you've got three pyramids. Right after that, you've got, you got, you got a picture of the Antichrist there and you've got 666 right over there in Alexandria, Egypt from an aerial view. And... Uh, <clears throat> Anyways, you've got uh, his letter. It's X. He's got a name. Uh, he's got a religion. 
of course, it's Roman Catholicism, and that's from uh, North Africa. Uh, he's got a race. He's a Syrian Jewish Hamite. I'll say it again. He's a Syrian Jewish Hamite, and he has a mark. He's got a mark, and he's the Antichrist. And uh, not only that, you've ever stopped and think about that, that sign, that sign that, uh, that sign that he has, that mark. And uh, it talks about can a leopard change his spots? You ever dial in and look at that leopard? Uh, that leopard spot, it's like a Rosetta, two Rosetta stones, like two half moons. And you put that thing, you know what that thing looks like if you put it up on the board? I'll show it to you. You put two, if it's two crescent moons on that, on that uh, leopard, it's like this. Now that's a terrible set of lips, but it looks like a black set of lips. And you know what was betrayed, Jesus got betrayed in the garden with, right? A kiss. You know what his mark is? You know where it goes? Right there. And it's an interesting around Ash Wednesdays, uh, members of the Catholic Church will get, uh, won't they get something black put right on their forehead? Well, that's right in Revelation 13, verse 16. Revelation 13, 16, the old time Catholics, they would either put it in, they'd, they'd put it on their forehead themselves if, if the priest wouldn't do it for them. And they put it in their right hand, they put it right on their forehead. I remember working at McDonald's as a boy, and this little lady walks in, and uh, she had uh, some smudgy black stuff, you know. <clears throat> it wasn't Catholic, I know nothing about it. She came in, I said, I hand her a napkin. I said, ma'am, you got some kind of junk on your forehead. She said, I didn't know she'd just come from the priest. It was Ash Wednesday and got that stuff put on her phone, you know, like that. But that looks like, uh, looks like a black kiss, doesn't it? That's the right color. The leopard spot is black. It's two Rosetta Stones, like half moon. Looks like a kiss. And uh, he's got a race. He's got a mark. He's got a religion. And uh, a lot of people think, well, you know, the Antichrist can't be too smart. Let me tell you what, this man, this Antichrist, he appears to the world as a military and political genius. He does. Uh, think about it. Yeah, you know what I think the Antichrist comes in? I think the Antichrist comes in the moment the rapture is over. Think about it. The world's in disarray. 10 to 20 million people disappear just like that. And if blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, guess what happens? Then our blood stays here. And wouldn't it be just like that? You have the most, uh, uh, you know, you have a, a Saulish looking figure, like higher in stature than any other man and aren't they looking for the guy out there in outer space every single day and the rapture takes place the whole world's in disarray and here comes up the man hey I'm here to save the day how are you <laughs> but he comes he comes as a master politician and a lover even though Daniel says he doesn't have the desire of women so he's a sodomite uh, he comes as a master politician I'm telling you what he comes as a sodomite he's coming to good company uh, he comes as a prodigy of learning. He's well learned. And above all, he comes as a religious leader who commands and obtains the respect and adoration of the entire world. Now he's got, uh, he's got a number of titles. One title is the man of sin. Another title he bears is the son of perdition. Another title is the beast. And of course, the, uh, the Antichrist, which we uh, know him as. I've got a couple things that uh, Doc wrote here. And uh, we've already covered some of this. There's 20 things about the Antichrist. Number one is religion will be Roman Catholicism. Absolutely. Uh, number two is nationality will be Syrian Jewish through Ham. His traditions and scriptures are from North Africa. 
Uh, number four, he will profess to be Jesus Christ himself. Here, stop and think about that mark the leopard has. It's black, isn't it? That's the color. You ever wonder why all the priests and the nuns wear black? That's North African. Uh, he'll be in, uh, when he comes back, he'll be in Rome three and a half years as the man of sin. Uh, then he'll be in Jerusalem for three and a half years as the man, uh, son of perdition. He'll be an absolute authority on uh, science and outer space. Well, yeah, that's because where he came from. Remember, he's in, the second, he's in the second heaven. That's his domain. Remember, he was cast down from the third heaven to the second heaven. And then when he comes down, he's cast down to the ground. And then he knows he's got but a little time. He'll be an authority on science and outer space. He'll come peaceably with a kiss for the whole world. I bet she comes off that uh, flying saucer or that thing he comes out there and he goes, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And every, every religion in the world just bows right at his feet. Oh, it's Thor's brother, you know. <laughs> and you know what he does? He comes peaceably, like I said, with a kiss for the whole world. He utilize, he'll utilize African music for his church services. You know how you know? Because that's what's in there right now. And he's going to pick it up and run with it. Not only that, he'll restore uh, Baal worship, and he'll restore sex as a part of the service. You say, how ridiculous is that? You don't read too much history, do you? All you got to do is go back to 300, 300 B.C. with Philip of Macedon and Alexander the Great, his son, taking over. Man, that was the wickedest things going on over there. They had regular sex orgies as part of religious worship. So then when Lord Jesus Christ come and the Apostle Paul begins to write part of the canon of the New Testament, you know what happens when you bring the Bible in, when you bring Jesus Christ in, you clean things up. But when you get rid of the Bible, when you get rid of the Word of God, and you get rid of Jesus Christ, and you get rid of your morals, and you get rid of the revivals, and you get rid of everything, it's like Dr. Ruckman said, it's back to the Bible or back to the jungle. All right, <clears throat> he'll be connected with the number 6 and with number 13. There's over 40 references on the number 13 in the Bible that connect it to the Antichrist. Uh, the cat and the words derived from it will identify his organization. His favorite color is black. And according to the Bible, he's got a bad right arm and a bad right eye. He will absolutely revive the ancient Roman Empire. He will, be fend, be, uh, he will befriend Israel. And then at that three and a half year mark, he'll turn on them. And he'll massacre them. And he'll slaughter them. And in the tribulation, there'll be cannibalistic Jewish sacrifices. <clears throat> he'll set himself up as God and demand sacrifice himself. And of course, his letter of identification will be X. And, of course, he'll hardly approve any next Bible that comes off the market from Rome and all apostate fundamentalism. Well, that's the mystery of the Antichrist. That's the mystery of iniquity. And uh, we, just, we just touched the surface of it, but I think we've said enough. He says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And that's the mystery of the Antichrist. You might not be able to explain it, but you ought to be able to believe it. Amen. Let's grab number seven and wrap this thing up if we can. And, of course, the last one, as you know, is the mystery of the rapture. The mystery of the rapture. Mystery of the rapture of the church. I think it was uh, the year of COVID, 2020. Um, Nurse, answer me this. How, how come they call it COVID, but then they call it the coronavirus? What's the difference? 
Okay. Okay, all right. There you go. Thank you. They said, do you understand? No, but I believe it. She's a nurse. <laughs> First Corinthians, another mystery. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll pick it up around verse 51. But around, uh, where I was going with that thing, around that, uh, a good friend of ours encouraged us to uh, disengage from the news and to stop listening to news. He said, you do what you want. He said, but you'll be a lot happier if you didn't. And it's not like I was a big hinger upon the news, but I would from time to time uh, try to stay up with current events, you know, and say, what's going on, and what's Russia doing to China, and what's China doing? You know what? It's been such a blessing not to be caught up with all that junk from the world. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. And you're going to find out. I find out now, if I just hear a little bit of news, you know what I find out? It raises my blood pressure. It gets me irritated. And I'm like, man, what a blessing. You say, well, you're just, you're just ignorant. You're stupid. Thank you. That's a compliment. I'd rather be stupid according to this world, but not according to this book. And I tell you what, if I sat in front of the news, you know what I know as a, a, a people, as a, as a sheep, as a congregation? You'd know it because you'd be like, I've heard this all week long. Change the channel, preacher. <laughs> right? I think you deserve something fresh. You deserve a fresh glass of water, some fresh bread, and not this microwave garbage Christianity. Now look at 1 Corinthians 15. I exhort you and encourage you to unplug from that thing. You'd be better for it. 1551. Never, never one time in this book does it say, and thou shalt watch the 6 o'clock news uh, with Dan Rather. I don't even think he's still alive, but anyways, or with Tom Brokaw or whatever, or whatever liar of the, of the day it is. Look at 51. <laughs> Bible says, Behold, I show you a what? A mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the last trump, the, for, I'm sorry, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put, put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul's like, listen, one day you're going to get blasted out of here, uh, just like uh, Mach 7 out of here, so keep going at this thing. And that's a mystery of the rapture. Not everyone's going to die. Uh, some, some of us are going to see the rapture, and we're going to get out of here without death. I'll take your Bible, go to John chapter 11. I'll show you this thing in action. John 11:25. 25. Now, there's two classes. There's two classes. What's that? Who's that? Oh, bo both of those liars are still alive. Praise the Lord. Amen. Don't listen to either one of them. Amen. <laughs> that shows you what I know. Romans chapter 11. I'm sorry. Uh, John chapter 11. I don't think Romans will do it for you. You say, well, you're awful critical about the news. Well, why are you protecting the world like you do? You ever wonder why you do that? You ever wonder why a preacher gets on something about the world, you get all critical, or I'm not saying you do, but if you do, you ever just ask yourself why? 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 I mean, this, this world is no good, right? 
uh, why do you want to make it a better place? I want to I make it an exiting place. I want to get out of here. John chapter 11. Now look at verse 25. The Bible says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou, believe, believest thou this? Say that ten times fast. Now, in that, those two verses, you have both classes of people going up at the rapture. The first class is in verse 26. Look at it. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall what? Never die. You see that? That's, that's if, the, if the Lord was to come back today, like right now, all of us would go up in the rapture. We would never die physically. But look at verse 25. The second class is in verse 25. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's a blessing because you got grandma and grandpa and, you know, aunts and uncles and moms and dads out in the, you know, buried six foot under in the vault and all that stuff. And when the Lord comes back, uh, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, uh, let's look at it. Let's look and see what that says. The dead in Christ are going to go up first. Two classes, the dead in the ground that are saved and those that are alive and are saved. And this thing is a mystery. You say, oh, no, it's not a mystery. I know it's going to happen. Yeah, but you can't explain it. Explain how you get from here and you meet the Lord in the air. <laughs> I mean, what was it going to be like a Cessna 500 or something? No, how are you going to get there? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, verse 16 rather. He says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's the first, there's the second class we looked at in John eleven twenty five. Then you got the second class, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So you may have family members you've never met before that are born again Christians laying in the cemetery somewhere, and they're going to go up first. Amen. That'll be a grand reunion. And I don't know about the length of time. Uh, I used to think there might have been uh, more, more, a lot of time in between, but that was just a fantasy, I guess. But I have no idea how much time is between the, that first group going up and the second. But there's a distinction in time. It says, for the dead in Christ shall rise first. So I don't know if it's like, you know, they're like 100 feet above us and poo, up we go, right? Or else they get out of the ground first and then we go up. You know, is it seconds? Is it milliseconds? I mean, we're talking in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You know, is it two twinkles or is it four twinkles? I have no idea. But the dead in Christ rise first. And uh, so that's what you have. Those are, that's the seventh mystery, the mystery of the rapture of the church. And the mystery of this is that you could be dead in the ground, right? You could be dead in the ground rotting and still come up. <laughs> I mean, Michael Jackson back in, was it 1984, put out that video called Thriller and how the graves open, kind of zombie-looking thing, demonic stuff right out of hell. But you know what? When the Lord comes back and he lays on the horn, them graves are going to bust wide open and up come the dead ones out of the ground. How about the ones that were in boat accidents out in the middle of the ocean somewhere? If they're whale poop on the bottom of the sea, they're coming up, man. <laughs> you see what I mean? What if they're disintegrated? How many born-again Christians were disintegrated in the Twin Towers? How many born-again Christians were killed on the battlefield and eaten by wild animals? You see what I mean? And the dead in Christ are coming up first, 
and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the mystery of the rapture. That's the seventh one. Now, that's the mystery. That's seven of them. Now, there's some final warnings I want to give you here real quick on these seven mysteries. Here's why we teach it. We teach it, number one, so you believe it. Amen? You ought to believe your Bible. And you ought to be able to know. You ought to be able to have them somewhere. And I'm sure you all do. We go through these pretty regularly. But you ought to know what the seven mysteries are. You've got the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. And listen, if you don't, if a preacher isn't faithful to teach these to his people, here's what happens. If you drop the first one, let's say, you know what, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm not going to believe in the virgin birth, okay? I'm just going to waver on that one. I'm going to throw that out the window. And then you end up like Bob Jones University and Baptist Bible College, and they dropped it in their acceptance of the New American Standard and the New International Version and the American Standard Version. And then what happens is you open up the, way, the door for deism. That's what was our founding fathers, a bunch of deists. You say, what they believe? Oh, they didn't believe that Jesus Christ was deity. He was just a good man. That's deism. You wind up with uh, Julia Ward Howe and her Unitarianism. You know what Unitarianism says? We're all saved. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. Uh, years ago, it was called Socinianism before it was Unitarianism. And then what happens if you throw out the first one? If you throw out the, the first one that God was manifest in the flesh, the virgin birth, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, you end up being saved in society by following Christ's examples. Uh, you end up being saved uh, by watching videos like Jesus Christ Superstar, The Robe, The Big Fisherman, In His Steps, and the latest Hollywood movies that dictate your Christianity. You see that? All right, that's the first one. Now, if you drop the second one, you know what happens? Let's say, well, uh, we're going to drop this one. I don't know if Jesus Christ can be in me uh, all the time. You know, it's kind of far-fetched because there's a lot of people, and I'm sure he's pretty busy, but I'm sure he's got to be inside other people too. Well, if you drop that one, you know what you do? Then you end up falling. Uh, you lose the doctrine of the two natures. You lose the doctrine of the two natures, and all of a sudden you fall prey to sinless perfection or complete sanctification. And you get screwed up in 1 John 1, 9, thinking that you've got to confess your sins to be saved. Now, I hear Bible believers on the stinking radio saying, if you confess your sins, then Jesus Christ will come into your heart and save you. That's not how you get saved. You get screwed up in 1 John 1, 9, and you're a Bible believer. And uh, then all of a sudden, if you drop this one, the mystery of the ill-dwelling Christ, uh, the only thing that your church can now do is uh, they major on the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5. You say, why does it go there? Well, you don't think he's in you. You throw out the doctrine of the two natures. Well, say, well, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I really believe about the mystery of the body of the church there. I think we'll, uh, we'll take seven, uh, we'll take one, two, four, five, six, and seven, we'll drop number three. Well, if you, do, if you drop that one, you know what you do? You lose the doctrine of eternal security. That's pretty important, wouldn't you say? You lose the doctrine of eternal security. You would not believe, actually, you probably would, you would not believe how many people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s in Baptist churches today do not have eternal security nailed down. They don't have it. You say, how do you know? Because for nine years now, matter of fact, the first five years, we saw several older people that had been in church all their life get salvation figured out when they got that one down. 
they don't have standing in state down, and they don't understand. They don't. They, they, they think they lost their salvation because they don't understand the two natures, and they don't understand that once you're in Christ's body, He's in you, and you're in Him, and there's no way He can get out of you. You're bone of His bone, and flesh of His flesh, and you lose the doctrine of eternal security, and then you go around doubting your salvation, and then you're going around listening to people who don't even think they're saved or know they're saved. And that's what happens when you drop the third one. Well, what happens if you drop? Uh, what happens if you drop the fourth one? Well, then you uh, then you get messed up on replacement theology. You see that? If you don't believe in the fourth mystery and you don't, you're not faithful to teach that one. You know what happens? You get these punks out there in Arizona called the new IFB. And you know what they teach? They teach that the church has replaced Israel. You say, why is that? Because they never taught the mystery of the restoration of Israel. And because they were never taught it and they don't believe it, the Bible says in Romans 11.25 that they're blind in their own conceit. They're a bunch of conceited jackasses is what they are because they now think that the promises to Israel go to the church. And you've got to steal all of Israel's promises to do that. So, uh, I don't know, preacher, are these mysteries important? I think they're pretty important. Now, if you get rid of the mystery of Babylon the Great, if you drop the fifth one, you know what you start thinking? I'm going to challenge you thinking a little bit tonight. If you drop this one right here, the mystery of Babylon the Great, the woman which is a city, which is a church. Ready? If you drop that one, then you begin to think it's okay to, to elect Roman Catholics as senators mayors, governors, and presidents, and you end up thinking that Catholicism is just one more religion, which it's not. You know what Catholicism is? It's Satan's bride. You're the bride of Christ, and Satan is the number one imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if the Lord has a bride, guess who else has a bride? Satan has a bride. Who is it? It's the Roman Catholic Church. It's Satan's bride. And it's responsible for the death of over 5 million Christians plus all the casualties in two world wars. And both of those wars were started by Austrian Catholics who were born, sprinkled, confirmed, and raised in the Catholic Church. There's a mic drop for you. All right, you drop number six. Say, well, we'll pick up five, but we'll, uh, we'll just drop number six and we won't teach about the Antichrist. A lot of churches won't teach about the Antichrist. Listen, I refuse to go out of the way to make a big deal and create all this drama and come, come to our series about the Antichrist and, you know, big billboards and all that stuff. But as we cover the seven mysteries, you got to learn about it. But if you drop the sixth one, you uh, end up accepting the office of a pope as legitimate, which it's not or it's ever, it never has been uh, because it's merely the Catholic system. But according to the Scripture, the Antichrist is a man. He's a man with a number and not just a beast. So the danger of that is you just begin to accept it. You begin to accept that as legitimate. It's not. And finally, if, you, uh, if, you, if you'd uh, discard the mystery of the rapture, you know what happens? Well, if you drop the seventh one, like, let's just say the hyperdispensationalist does, doesn't believe in the rapture, uh, you end up settling down on the world system and quit looking for his glorious appearing. Isn't that interesting? I know a bunch of Baptists and Christians and Bible believers that they're not looking forward to the Lord coming back at all. What happened? I don't know. They're like, they're like uh, practical hyper-dispensationalists. 
The mystery is called a blessed hope. Look at Titus 2.13 real quick. We're just about done. We're on the last leg here. Let me about ready to catch flies. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Now, can you imagine this stuff being taught in the school system? Titus, you realize there's people, uh, probably even some, maybe even listening tonight, that are upset because of what uh, some of the silly stuff that I've taught and preached. You say, Why? what is that from? That's just from being in the world all your life. That's just from loving the world and not loving the Bible. Paul said to the Galatians, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now look, I don't claim to be an expert, but I believe these mysteries. And I believe I've been faithful to teach them. You say, why? Because I don't want this stuff to happen. If God is ever going to build this church, he's going to have to do it. But I don't want to ever be that he didn't build it because I wouldn't teach. Titus 2.13, the Bible says this, looking for that blessed hope. You see it? And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for the red heifer. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the rebuilding of the temple. I'm looking for the blessed hope. And if I, drop, if I stop teaching about the rapture and stop warning the people of God about the rapture, guess what? You'll stop looking for the blessed hope. And you'll get settled down. And you'll get real comfortable. And you know what? This is not you because you're here. But you're like, you know what? It, it, church isn't important. You see what I mean? Church isn't really important anymore. But it is important. And that mystery of the rapture is very important because uh, to be looking for the blessed hope uh, Philippians chapter 3.20, it says, we look for the Savior. Sometimes we look for the Savior. I'm not looking for the next holiday. I'm not looking for the next election. I'm looking to get out of here, man. As what one preacher said, I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. And uh, that hope, that blessed hope that we just read about in Titus 2.13, 1 John chapter 3, 1-3 says it's a purifying hope. So if you're looking for the blessed hope, you know what you're going to do? You're going to purify yourself even as he is pure. It's a purifying hope. And I guess that probably explains why most uh, hyper-dispensationalist groups don't have any uh, separational standards. And I'm not a guy that preaches heavy on the standards. I believe God ought to set the standards for you in your home. Amen? But you get around a hyper-dispensationalist, they don't have standards in music. They don't have standards. Young people don't have standards in dress or anything. It's like, hey, let's just go. Why? They've settled down. They're not, they're not challenged to be pure in this world. But uh, these are the final warnings. And uh, listen, when it comes to the seven mysteries, you ought to know what they are. I think you ought to write them down. I think, I think you ought to be able to list them out. But you're not going to be able to explain them all, but you sure can believe them. Amen? Sure can believe them. And for that's what the faithful steward of 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 was said to do. Let me read the text and we'll close right at the top of the hour. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So church, be faithful to know them and be faithful to keep them. Teach them to your kids, teach them to your grandkids. And pass that thing on like that unfeigned faith in 1 Timothy chapter 1 around verses 5 to 7. All right, that's it on the seven mysteries.